Everyday peacemakers are not professional humanitarians. We're everyday people who are learning to see God and ourselves in others. We're daring to step off the road of comfort and immerse into reality. In the face of injustice, conflict, and violence, we are choosing to contend, not by getting even, but by getting creative in love. Everyday peacemakers are everyday people who are embedded within a world divided by difference, and these are our stories. Welcome to Everyday Peacemaking, a global immersion podcast hosted by Haley Mitsui, Jer Swigert, and myself, John Huckins. And as always, we're going to jump into the conversation with a question of the week. Okay, guys, our question for this week from my question box is, do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? I'm actually, I don't know this about you two. I feel like I would. Jer, why don't you kick us off, man? I mean, well, I I feel like every one of these questions is just open new portals into one another's <laughs> lives. Uh, I, rem- I remember I was young. I was probably, I had to been six, seven in that, in that range. I was down in Florida with my family visiting my grandparents and there was a shuttle launch and we couldn't make it all the way down to Cape Canaveral, but like we were probably a few hundred miles away from where the launch was happening but a launch and it happened at night and it's so intense that it literally makes the, the night sky like daytime. Uh, and so I remember watching this thing uh, climb up into the sky and you can just watch this fireball rising up into the sky. I remember thinking to myself in that moment, you know, it was like the first moment where I was like, I think I could be whatever I wanted to be. You know, I could be anything, but it was like that idea that a rocket was launching human beings out of our atmosphere and into the into the into space that made me be like, I want to be an astronaut. So that was my dream. Whew. And I'm and I'm living it. And you're living you it. Really are. You are also That's a part-time astronaut. We yeah. Well I think the next morning we, we went to like a spring training baseball game and then I wanted to be a baseball player. So maybe it was short lived, but <laughs> mm, you're very informed by your context mm, is what I'm gathering. I'm a feeler. I'm, I'm a feeler. Oh <laughs> uh, John? Oh, way to push it off there, Hales. Jeez. I mean, you know, my my first one is boring and the second one is just at the epicenter of my identity. You know, as a, as a, a little dude, of course I wanted to be a baseball player. It's just, it was critical. Matt Williams, uh, Will Clark, Kevin Mitchell, Robbie Thompson. I'm a Giants fan. Baseball. Oh, Let's go. Gosh, like, I don't man. know who any of them And uh, so I was just looking to play catch with my pop every day. That was my goal. Now. When I came more closer to the identity, like every good nine-year-old Christian evangelical I boy, say, I wanted to become a youth pastor. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> My dream job, John, the youth pastor. Pastor Skip, backflips, whole deal. That's it. So uh, well, I lived into that, did. by the way, for seven say, years. You yep, did actually the dream. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hales. Um, I know. I Mine feels so cliche. I always wanted to be a singer. It's uh, mm. always what I wanted to be. Um. I had my first public performance when I was five at my sister's baptism, I sang, and I've been singing in front of people ever since. I tried out for American Idol when I was 17. Whoa. I did not make it, obviously. You should have. It was rigged. (laughs) Yeah. It was rigged. Um, You know, and I I haven't, you know, I wouldn't say I've become a professional singer, but I did marry a professional musician and so i get to uh i get to live vicariously sometimes i wouldn't downplay that hales i mean you are a recorded musical artiste i feel like i I feel like you show up on you you show up on the occasional eagle and child uh i do and you know what i had this realization the other day and i'm just holding on to it 
I have been paid to sing. Therefore, I am a professional Absolutely. singer, right? That's it. It is true. It's called so, a lot of 1099s. Tax season. Glory I be. have 1099s. Yeah. We're going to update your bio. <laughs> uh, director of formation <laughs> slash professional musician. Yeah. Uh, well, you guys, these are fun. These are fun. Um, today, we get to hear from our good friend, Mary DeYoung. And the, like the conversation that we're about to have is one that I think is really important for all of us as aspiring everyday peacemakers to recognize things like the mundane, the role that the mundane plays, like the role that the tools that we already have access to, how we deploy them. But you're going to hear her reflect at the very end in a very humble and unique way. Uh, and I'm going to save that surprise for you. So let's dive into the interview and then I'll see you guys on the flip side of this and we'll uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. We want to welcome to the podcast our good friend Mary DeYoung, who is uh, who lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, so excited about this conversation. Mary, introduce yourself to us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then uh, we want to hear a story about everyday peacemaking, how this actually plays out in your everyday life. So, but start with you. Give us a little bit about you. Yeah, you know, I actually always hate introducing myself because I've listened to so many people on podcasts and they're so profound and have so, and I, when you walk into West Michigan, I look like almost everybody else. I'm tall, I'm blonde, I'm Dutch. I eat lots of Dutch things. And I went to Calvin, went to U of M, got my master's in social work, have worked in social work and not, and for-profit spaces. Currently working at a nonprofit and uh, am a house mentor to some amazing young men. Yeah. What makes us distinct, makes you distinct uh, from your other Dutch American counterparts there in Western Michigan (laughs) is at some point in your life, this idea of everyday peacemaking became central to your understanding of faith Mm. and became Mm -hmm. central to your understanding of, of the way that you live your life. And so talk to us about when this captured your attention and how it's begun to show up in the way that you understand God yourself and others. And then let's move into that, that story about you and, uh, and the brothers that you're working with. Yeah. You know, someone actually asked me this the other day and was like, why do you care about other, I was talking about living in Peru and I was talking about loving, learning new languages. And they were like, that's weird. (laughs) Why do you do that? And I didn't have a great answer, but I think a lot of it came when I started realizing how absent the church was in a lot of the conversations that I was having in the social work space, especially in my master's program. Ferguson happened and a classmate of mine was from Ferguson and the conversation in Ann Arbor where University of Michigan is centered. And then I commuted. So coming back to uh, West Michigan and there was no conversation happening about it in West Michigan. You know, my church didn't pray about it and I got very confused. And around the same time I went on my first immersion trip. And I think it was in that point where I was like, this really resonated with how I understood God. You know, I've always understood the Bible to be a love letter from, you know, a father to his children of like, I want you to understand where you come from and who you are and who I am and what my hopes are for you. It just seemed to like, okay, this is how you live that out, right? This is how you become a a good child of someone you love. So that's how peacemaking became central to, to who I am and how I try to live out my faith is that's who God was. And so that's who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We love that because, uh, you know, as, as you, as you know, the way that we talk about everyday peacemaking is that it's not an add on to our faith. It's actually central to our faith. It's, it's this, it's the expression of Christian faithfulness. And, 
um, which means that it's not a habit and it's not project based. It's the way that we show up in our lives every single moment of every single day. And um, and I, I've I we our whole team has been privy to the many ways in which you and you and Adam together live that out in in your space. Um, but there, there is something that um, there, there's something that's coming to life for you guys, and the way that you're utilizing your home, and how literally this is becoming an everyday way of life uh, that you've made us privy to. That I'm excited for other people to learn from as well. So, talk to us about that a little bit. Tell us, tell us the, the kind of the whole story, um, and specifically, like what is happening less for um, the gentleman that you're working with, but more for you. Like, how is how are you becoming transformed to become to become more part of liberation and restoration along the way? I only hope that I'm be- I'm becoming part of restoration and liberation along the way. Yeah, when I think what really happened is, so I was working at a drop-in center for runaway and homeless youth and then was transitioning to work for a for-profit company. And it was easy to view myself as a peacemaker, as a social worker, because it's your job. But I was challenged to say like, well, if I really believe this is important, if Adam and I, Adam is my partner, if we really believe that this is central to our faith, how do we continue this beyond now we actually have to find a way to do this right outside of work? I didn't, I had known about this organization called 311 Youth Housing that provides safe and stable housing for young people ages 18 to 24 who are experiencing homelessness, which is actually a very large issue in our community. And my husband and I own a duplex. And so I called up Lauren Vinculin, who's the executive director, and said, all right, I'm a licensed therapist, so I can do therapy. I can be a board member, or we can turn our house into a 311 house. Oh, which would you choose? I don't think we knew what we were getting into. We had, we went to a house dinner with one of the other mentors who was currently doing it. And they were just like, you know, we thought it was going to drastically change our life. And, it, you know, a lot of our life is still the same come to learn he's from Chad. And so communal living and just having constant interruptions is a huge part of their culture. So that's probably why it didn't feel like a huge adjustment for them. But we got three guys who didn't know each other at all, uh, move in the same week, basically into our house. And then what it looks like is we do weekly meals and then we just do life on life. And I think that's the huge difference for me is that They've really become part of our family. You know, when we think, when we talk about each other, when we talk about uh, goals and and who they call, like we're their emergency contact on health forms. Where are those people? And we didn't ask for any of that. That's not part of the program uh, per se. It's just part of building relationship. And we do that through everyday experiences, like coming around a dinner table and teaching them how to drive and showing up at their GED graduation and walking through houses because that's what they want to do or connecting them with employment. It's pretty mundane, but it's also practicing grace in a way that I've never had to practice grace before. Yeah. I, well, I'm just, I'm assuming that as a Dutch American, your life being interrupted as a natural way of being is is less common to you than it is your, your, uh, your brother from Chad. So oh, like yeah. how, how, how have you... <laughs> How, how have you changed as a result of this? How have you allowed yourself and yourselves to become interrupted uh, in a way that's actually restorative? Yeah, time, I view time very differently now. What I've shifted my understanding to be is that I used to always think intentionality was punctuality, right? I'm being intentional about you, so I'm seeking you out. I'm showing up on time. And what I've learned from them is that they are intentionally present, 
right? So they challenge me to be more present where I am and who I'm with and allowing those conversations to just flow, right? So now, especially during COVID, now that I'm working from home, sometimes they'll just stop in and I think they have a quick question and then it's an hour later and like, well, I'll just work later because that was important. That's an important conversation to have and to show up for the, for those conversations. It's funny. I used to get so frustrated with my parents. They would always invite random people to our holiday dinners. And I was like, why are you doing this? This is supposed to be our family time. And now I'm like inviting strange people to their family dinners, their holiday dinners. And they're like, Mary, what are you doing? I said, you taught me this. Can we raise those two things up really quick? Because I... I think one of the things that um, that quickly discourages everyday peacemakers from from next steps or or from making this a way of life is this idea of inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And in, in some ways, especially as uh, speaking for myself as a dominant culture male, I I spend my time trying to make things as convenient and efficient as possible. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, if we're going to join in the restoration that God is making real on the planet, we have to allow our lives to be inconvenienced. And then turns out the inconvenience is where the gift is found. So can you comment a little bit more on that? And then the second thing I want you to to reflect on is how you actually were groomed uh, in your Mm. upbringing to live this way of life. Because I think that's important for parents who are listening in on this conversation. Yeah. So first about inconvenience, uh, I'm a complete planner as well. And I think that's been the hardest part for me and is still the hardest part for me. Uh, Sleep has been a huge thing disrupted for me. Very thin walls. 18 to 22 year old young men, you can only imagine the things we hear just being like, that's, this is their home too. And I want them to be able to make mistakes in the safety of community. Like I was able to, I was able to go to a dorm and make mistakes in community, but also have accountability, have people there that are with me. It is really hard sometimes. And if you think you're going to do peacemaking without being inconvenienced or without changing yourself and really doing work to say, Ugh, I am so uncomfortable and I don't want to have to do that, then you're not really ready for it. And that doesn't mean you can't start. It just means that you might get slapped across the face kind of like I did. My parents always talked, you now go into that second question, they always talked about wanting to be inclusive, I always call our home the Hoekstra Hotel because people were always staying there. And that idea of saying our home is for other people, it's not just for ourselves. It's not just so that you can, you know, kick back and relax. Having space to rest is important, but that doesn't have to be void of community. That doesn't have to be void of discomfort or inconvenience, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So let me ask you this: the this isn't always peaches and cream either. I mean, you you alluded a little bit to the sound reality and you know um, some of the spatial realities of this, but it also sounds like you're not just ho- you're not just providing space. There's a there's a re- there's a relationship that is being developed here, and um, so when things are happening that that you a conversation needs to be had. <laughs> what can you, can you give us just a glimpse of what that's been like? It's really evolved because you have to know someone to have certain conversations. You can't just like dive in. Right. And so it starts with a lot of questions. Um, now we've gotten to the point where we can have some of the conversations. It was funny this weekend we were having a conversation around the the dining room table and there's a 
person who was doing the Myers-Briggs for all of us. And they had done all the guys. And so it felt kind of like a marriage counseling session with Adam and I in front of our guys, which was so uncomfortable. But what was funny is the guys said, oh yeah, Mary's super blunt. She's, she'll tell you what she's feeling. She'll like me. And I was like, really? I thought I was being so careful with all of you. <laughs> you know, I thought I was trying to, to be so, so tender. And I think the reality is that who you are comes out, whether you're trying to or not. And so how you do peacemaking, how you have those conversations. And it really looks like I always try to say, I'm learning from you as much as you are from me, but you know, in the beginning of the process, there was a time where I really felt run out of my house. I didn't know how to have the conversation. The, there was so much noise, pot smoke, like it just, it was so hard and I couldn't feel like I could be in my home. And after a conversation with the guys, I was like, I don't feel like that. I need you to be able to be, feel at home and I need to be able to feel at home. And so how do we do this together? And it's often come down to, I want to put like you have agency and can decide, but I want to have the conversation. If you still decide X, that's okay. And that's your choice. I will still be here for you. One of them said, well, what if I did this? And they kept like trying to get increasingly bad. I just like pulled Brian Stevenson. I was like, we are more than our worst mistake. And I know you're more than whatever that is. Sometimes they don't go well. Definitely had that not go well, but I'm sure. So last question. Let me, let me just ask this there. There's uh, the potential in a scenario like this for the, the, a perpetuation of like the hero. There's a power differential. You're the homeowner. They're the guests. You're providing the space or whatever it is. What are, what are you and Adam doing such that this isn't perpetuating an old system of hero white saviorism? What are you doing to actually create a, a, an environment of mutuality? Yeah, I think being honest is a huge thing. Like for example, I had to do, we're, we're all home, it's COVID and I had to do a virtual presentation. And rather than just, I was like, guys, I really need your help. I know you're trying to like download your video games and do this, but I really need our internet to like be spot on, you know, and it's inviting them into spaces where they can help me. Um, one of them helped us with like house chores. And it's, I think it sometimes creates space to say like, I don't actually have it all together. And to say that my understanding of success does not have to be yours. You know, I think I don't want to put my idea of what you could be on you. I want you to know that I see this potential in you. And yet I will be there for all of the different things if that's what you want to do. I don't honestly know if I'm doing it right, Jer. I don't. Um, But I think it mainly starts with being honest with them and creating opportunities for them to show up which means being vulnerable. Yeah, and, and and Mary, honestly, I think that last thing that you said is maybe one of the most valuable things you've said in the last 15 minutes, and that is I might not be doing it right. <laughs> you know, and I, I honestly think that that's, that's the humble reality. That's the humble posture of peacemakers to say, you know what, I, I think the only way we learn how to participate in the, rest, the, the restorative revolution that's afoot is to stumble our way into it with humility and as much compassion and teachability as possible alongside folk who we're not just serving, they're serving, they're, they're, they're teaching us. They're a part of our transformation. And, uh, and I think that's true, so true uh, of you. So thank you so much, Mary, for spending some time with us, um, for bringing us into this story that's very much in process. And uh, we honor you, bless you, and, uh, and cheer you on as you continue to live, love, and lead in this way. Thank you. I've really been honored to be invited. My golly. You know, the thing, the loudest thing that pops for me out of that story and conversation 
is that she is someone who um, is like hardwired for uh, for leadership, organizational structure. She's trained in therapy. Like she is, her resume is thick with things she could do that would insulate her from the reality of everyday life and proximity. And the way that she has made choices to set that trajectory aside and move closer to those that actually disrupt and make her life, quote unquote, inconvenienced uh, is just remarkable. And and of course, as she communicated, it's not it's a journey from inconvenience to, oh, this is actually what we were meant to live like all along. And in hearing her formation in that and the intentionality of the decisions she's made and her humility um, about even knowing if she's doing it right in the midst of it is pretty remarkable. To me, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is the thesis statement of this conversation, which was, I used to think intentionality was punctuality. And now I see intentionality as presence. And that's what her housemates have taught her. And I think that resonated so deeply with me because um, I've been on a journey of what I call decolonization as a Japanese American and trying to understand like, how have I sort of allowed, uh, pardon my intense intense words, but the white supremacy and the priorities of the white majority to inform my own priorities? And one of those ways has been the concept of time for me. I think that the American culture has a very obsessed um, and rigid view of time that you don't find in most other communities around the world. And so to have her state that, I'm like, oh, we're all decolonizing our minds. Like we're all unleashing ourselves from the rigidity of preset uh, expectations and priorities. And so I think that was just like a sweet moment of resonance for me to feel like, um, to feel so close and related to Mary in the process that she's going through with, as well as my own. Let me say one more thing on that. Uh, Like that, that's, a journey to presence and to decolonize our, you know, our value system in, t- in regards to time. She said it, as she did that, it led to her understanding the mundane as holy work. Tables, drives, graduations, employment for these boys she's got living above her. That's the stuff. Thanks for bringing that up because I, I mean, I, I agree so much. And that's something that we say all the time as we're training folk, right? It's, it's, um, the peacemaking is a gritty subversive way of life in which we, we actually enter into the mundane, recognizing that the restorative reality, the restorative potential makes it sacred and profound, you know, and yes, the drives, yes, the tables, yes, the, the convert, the hard conversations, you know, and everyday peacemaking demands that we actually embrace the mundane. Don't skip over it uh, because every moment, every second, every minute is full with the potential, uh, with restorative potential. And and I think I I hear that in in Mary. And that's one of the things I wanted to draw to the surface too is, you know, John, you, you alluded to, you know, Mary's capacity and capability and her leadership strengths and, and all of these things. And, and that's, you know, if any, if anything, all they would have to do is live by the, um, by the ideals of the program, the program, meaning create space for people to get, get on their feet. And what she's saying, what she, the way that they're living is like, 
it's not about the program. The program just simply created the infrastructure for real relationships to actually occur. And she, you know, she was even talking about, she's like, the kinds of transformation that are happening, it's happening not because they're living by the black and white of the program, but because they are actually finding themselves in relationship. Uh, And wow, that's, that's everything. Like we can all leverage the programs that are in our space, not to congratulate ourselves, but to actually find ourselves in relationships that actually contribute to our collective transformation and liberation. Well, and I think that that also touches on why do people not do that, Jer? Is because of what Mary said that you can't do peacemaking without being uncomfortable. So like being in relationship with people that are not in your immediate sphere is uncomfortable. Is uncomfortable. That is also, I would argue, one of the only roads to true transformation, but we avoid it like the plague because our American conditioning tells us we work towards comfort, security, and safety so that we don't have to be uncomfortable. That's what the American dream is, is an avoidance of uncomfortability. Yet the peacemaking way is saying, no, we move towards the uncomfortable nature or things that are around us that that is so it's such a, a counter narrative when you when you tell people you know or or present the idea of peacemaking it sounds like oh peacemaking mm-hmm. but when you tell people it means you have to be uncomfortable uh, it becomes a little less appealing i think we often say jesus didn't call us to be safe or to be comfortable he called us to be faithful and that expression of faithfulness oftentimes doesn't involve safety or comfort, which is the great surprise in all of it. And I think even with uh, the the beauty of the, the mundane practice that we see here, we talk about contend as this third practice of everyday peacemaking. Um, Mary and Adam are contending in very mundane ways. And I think there is a lore, there is a sexiness to contending in ways that are amplified across the internet and the television and pick your device. And that is considered the holy work, the good work. You you made it. When in reality is, I, while it might be, that mundane, thankless work, the showing up day in and day out, being around the table every dinner with the same group of people, that is the work. And that is not the stuff that's amplified oftentimes. And I think we need to reiterate over and over and over, that's what everyday peacemaking looks like. It doesn't need to show up on your social media feed. It may but it, that doesn't qualify it or disqualify it from its mundane power. Mm-hmm. Amen mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that, like, to add some more context to this idea of decolonizing, you know, like, we, our faith uh, has colonized us to believe that discomfort is wrong or bad um, rather than the portal into our transformation, you know? And, um, and, and so, like, I, I feel like, uh, part of the way that, that, that I've been colonized is to like, one of the greatest points of discomfort for me is the idea that I might not be doing it right. And what I, the, the, what, what was obviously so loud for me in the end of that, that conversation with Mary is her confession that she might not be doing it right. And I know her well enough to know that that is a very, very uncomfortable space to navigate. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and that doesn't give us a, a license to be haphazard or irresponsible. We have to be wise, but we also have to be brave if we're going to transcend this, this obstacle of, uh, of comfort. 
You know, so I just wonder for us as we're thinking about everyday peacemaking, how we actually have to live with this mantra of like, I might not be doing it right and how we might need to grow in our capacity uh, to be okay with that. Yeah. And what if we shifted, I mean, speaking of, yeah, what if we shifted our perspective? I think we are told that uncomfortability is is God withholding God's blessing. What and so when you're comfortable, that means you you God is blessing you. What if we were what if we reversed that? Mm. How would that change our view of of God's blessing? How would that change our view of uncomfortability? What if we are being blessed in in that discomfort? That's a word right there, Hales. Mary, thank you so much uh, for bringing us into this particular story, for helping us understand that that uh, that intentionality might not mean punctuality, but presence. You're, you're inviting us to consider uh, that peacemaking requires that we embrace the mundane. But what we're so grateful for in this moment is this idea that we might not be doing it right. All we can do is, is take one step at a time, trusting that the Spirit is breathing to life restoration in us and in one another. Uh, and so friends, God's restoration, it's happening right now. Uh, go participate in it and know that you are not alone. For more information on the work of Global Immersion, visit globalimmerse.org. Music in this episode was by King's Kaleidoscope and The Eagle and Child. This podcast is produced by Global Immersion and Adventure Vision Productions. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your excellent podcasts.